Okay, so Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe, has been in office 127 days. 127 days. You heard me right. And it's hard to imagine, even for me, that someone could do so much damage to so many in so short a period of time. 127 days ago, gasoline was plentiful and it was cheap. Today, in some parts of the country, it is not plentiful and it is most certainly not cheap. When President Trump left office, gasoline was hovering around $2 a gallon. In many areas of the country, less than $2 a gallon. Today, here in the New York metro area, gasoline is well over $3 a gallon. And in some places in the country, it's probably approaching 4 if it hasn't already gone over 4 I'm looking at a quote on March 3rd in St. Anselmo, California, a photograph showing gas at 375 a gallon. It's probably much higher than that in California now. How can you go from $2 a gallon gas to almost double that in such a short period of time? Well, perhaps shutting down the Keystone Pipeline might be part of it. We went from being an importer of gasoline and oil under President Trump to an exporter under President Trump, thanks to his opening up domestic drilling And now under sleepy Joe Biden, we're fast going back to becoming an importer of energy. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the National Preview Online podcast, the NPO podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show. You can do so in one of three easy ways. Go to either the iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store and simply search out the NPO podcast and click subscribe. And in the alternative, if you prefer a third-party uh, podcast aggregator app. Simply download the free Podbean app available in either of those two app stores. Podbean.com is our hosting service, and you can subscribe to the show that way. Regardless of which way you choose to subscribe, you'll be able to leave reviews, uh, leave comments, and we really would appreciate some of both. The more reviews we get, the more positive comments we get, the faster the show will come up in search engines, and the more people it will reach, the more people will listen to it, and it will grow, and we'll be able to offer you more things like a call in line and some live broadcast, etc. If you'd like me to cover a topic on the show, please don't hesitate to contact me by email at nationalpreviewonline at gmail.com. You can also contact me if you would like me to come and speak at one of your local political clubs or local Republican clubs or conservative clubs, I'd be happy to do that. Contact me the same way, nationalpreviewonline at gmail.com. So inflation is going to be hitting us pretty hard. The first place we've seen it is at the pump. But unfortunately, we're being told now by experts that the main inflation pressure hasn't even come yet. And now they're telling us, according to this article in the Epic Times, that the recent uptick in inflation is no cause for panic, although there could be more to come, particularly if the government or the Federal Reserve overreacts, according to several experts. Now, the Consumer Price Index, this is a a proxy for inflation, apparently rose 4.2% year over year from Uh, last April to this April. That's the highest figure reported by the Bureau of Labor Statistics since the recession we had back in 2008. Uh, This apparently surprised some federal officials. They didn't expect that sort of uptick. 
but they also announced that higher inflation will be tolerated for some time. Then they tried to say that the increase isn't as dramatic as it seems. Uh, They're trying to say that the spike reflects the recovery from the economic downturn and government restrictions triggered by the COVID-19 pandemic. But you see, that's not completely true because the the economy, except in the blue states that chose to deliberately and artificially suppress economic activity as a way of trying to defeat President Trump last November, uh, the economy had come back roaringly. Florida was doing well. Texas was doing well. Every state that didn't buy into this pandemic nonsense uh, did well. States that didn't shut everything down and paralyze their own businesses, they were doing well. So you can't say this is all because of uh, what's going on in, in uh, terms of economic recovery in blue states. Uh, it's, it's got to do with policies at the federal level, uh, most specifically our energy policies, because we know when we have $2 a gallon gas, A rising tide lifts all boats. People drive places. They spend money while they're driving places. Commerce goes up. uh, Costs of delivery go down. When gasoline starts spiking, it acts like a major anchor on all economic activity. Uh, But they say the increase isn't as dramatic as it seems, like I said. They said if they compare the April uh, consumer price index with the pre-pandemic figure, from February of 2020 and adjust for seasonal uh, changes, the increase adds up to about 3.1%. But notwithstanding that, that still represents an acceleration from the previous trend, which they reported as less than 2%. So you're saying it isn't 4.2%, but it went up from under 2% to over 3%. Now, for those of you who are less fluent in mathematics, going from under 2% to over 3%, is an increase of more than 50%. That is hardly insignificant. Uh, If you had a raise and a boss was going to give you a raise of uh, $1,000 a year and it went to $1,500 a year, I'm sure you'd be very happy. That's a 50% increase. Now, part of that increase stems from all the money that the Fed printed to fund multiple economic stimulus packages and various measures to shore up financial markets, according to Norbert Michel, an expert on financial markets and monetary policy and director of the Center for Data Analysis at the Heritage Foundation, which is a conservative think tank. And I want to cover this because people are very confused at how the government manages to spend money it doesn't have. They can't just print it up. First of all, Paper currency, since we've removed from the gold standard, has no intrinsic value. It's simply backed by the full faith and credit of the United States to honor it as valuable, tradable currency. When you print up paper, all you're doing is printing up a device that facilitates cash transactions. You're not increasing material wealth or manufacturing it. So when the Fed just says it has more money and sends money out to people, uh, it's just an entry on a ledger. Usually, The government borrows the money, and it's backed by treasury securities bought with existing dollars by individuals, companies, and governments. T-bills, you've seen these. When they say we have foreign debt, because foreign countries buy our debt, and we have to pay it back on those T-bills. But we have real money. We borrowed it from somebody else when the promise that we're going to pay it back uh, in a greater sum with the principal that was borrowed, plus the interest accrued. Uh, This time, though... A major portion of the $5.6 trillion in COVID-related government spending 
was funded through securities bought by the Fed with brand new dollars. The Fed now holds over five trillion in U.S. debt, up from two and a half trillion in February 2020. That is a big difference. Now understand what I just said. The federal government has now borrowed money from itself. It printed up $5.6 trillion almost and spent it. Well, actually, they spent $5.6 trillion, but they're trying to tell you that a major portion of that, probably about half, was funded by the Fed borrowing money, not real money, from someone else, from a corporation or from a government or from individuals, but by just printing up money itself and borrowing it from itself. This is a very dangerous precedent because we're quickly exceeding our capacity to service the debt that we are now incurring. And this should never, never have been done. The result of all this is that Americans and their businesses still have some money to spend uh, and they can cover bills despite a rather pronounced contraction of economic activity. But if the demand outpaces what the economy can currently supply, the buying pressure will bid up prices, and we're going to see that. We're seeing it with gasoline, and we're going to see it every place else. And the government can't continue to print up money forever. And eventually, this inflation is going to have a real, real effect on economic activity. It's going to have effects on people's disposable income and industries that have been hit the hardest by the not the pandemic, but by the ill-advised policies and ill-founded policies of blue state governors who are Democrats um, are going to suffer the most. And I'm speaking about restaurants. Here in my home state of New York, restaurants were destroyed. Restaurants are something of convenience. It's a luxury to go out to eat. People don't have to go out to eat. If they're suffering, people still need to eat, but they'll buy food and they'll cook it at home. It's a lot cheaper to do that than to go out and pay someone else to do it for you. It's a luxury to have someone else cook for you, serve you, and not have to clean up, and that's why you pay for it. Industries like that, luxury industries, are the first ones hit, and those industries have been hit hard enough as it is. If prices go up where they have to charge even more for the food, you're going to see a lot of restaurants go under, and they're simply not going to come back. This all because an idiot in the White House thinks that by shutting down the Keystone Pipeline and eliminating thousands and thousands of jobs is going to somehow save an environment that's not in danger in the first place. But this is just the tip of the iceberg as to what's to come. But these people are getting a little bit uh, excessive in their overreach of power. Look what happened in Maine. Now, Maine is a typical blue state in the Northeast. A lot of libs up there, even though there's nobody living in the damn place beside who lives in Portland. A curious little datum, did you know that Portland has more restaurants per capita of the population than any other city in the country? I wonder how many are left following what they've done up there. Well, get this. The Speaker of the House of the House of Representatives for the state of Maine this week arbitrarily decided to strip seven conservatives in that house of their committee assignments and replace them with Democrats. And why do you think he did this? Well, I'm going to tell you. House Speaker Ryan Fecto, a Democrat, made the move after the group 
comprised of six GOP lawmakers and one libertarian, entered the state capitol without their masks. Video footage posted by one of the legislators, uh, State Representative Laurel Libby, showed law enforcement stopping the group just inside the entrance. Quote, In order to be in legislative space, your leadership said that you need to wear a mask. So we are asking you to wear a mask beyond this point, one of the officers is reported to have said. The group of the six, or seven rather, wondered what would happen if they kept moving forward. So they did. It became clear that the Capitol Security and nonpartisan staff lacked the legal authority or applicable policies to prevent entry, so they proceeded into the State House to complete their work. The following day, this leader of the House of Representatives, this speaker, Fecto, Democrat, sent a letter to the lawmakers and informed them they would be replaced on the committees by Democrats. Quite, uh, quote, I'm absolutely disinterested in having to engage in a tussle over face coverings and the like. I simply will not tolerate attempts to devolve our institution into showmanship and political theater. So, instead of doing that, they have decided arbitrarily to engage in the showmanship of acting like dictators and simply stripping seven conservatives of their committee spots, not bothering to assign other conservatives to replace them, which would be unfair enough, arbitrarily taking the spots, but yet stacking the deck and replacing them with Democrats. Now, the governor of Maine, who ironically happens to be a Democrat, Janet Mills, signed an order on May 20th ending the statewide mask mandate the following week. But a council in charge of rules at the Capitol voted last week to keep requiring masks inside the building. So now I ask you, Mr. Fecto, who was engaging in the theater? The, Dem- the, the Republicans or the conservatives who decided to act in accordance with the order that the governor of the state wrote, or you, who decided to follow rules that came down from on high from the CDC and your governor when it suited you, but when those rules did not suit you, you decided to go against them. Who's being theatrical now? You or those who followed the rules? Quote, it would be very regretful if a decision I made here at a legislative council led to someone getting very ill. No one's going to get very ill This virus has a 99.5% survival rate, in case you haven't figured it out by now. We've all been had. And the point I just made was made by one of the representatives, Representative Heidi Sampson, apparently Speaker Fecto, only wants to follow the science when it is politically expedient. So everybody is in agreement now. The Center for Disease Control says you don't have to wear masks, particularly if you've been vaccinated. Uh, And now the governor of the state of Maine, but you want to continue to do it. So you're the one who's being a little bit theatrical, Mr. Fecto. Maybe it's time that there's an insurrection to get rid of you as well. So we have an overreach on the part of state governments now in Maine. We have inflation bearing down on us, and everybody wants us to believe that everything is just fine and that all is well in Shangri-La and that sleepy Joe Biden is not asleep and that he's actually vigorously working and governing. He doesn't know he's alive. And there's a lot of us here that still believe the election was stolen and people are working assiduously in a variety of states to audit. The latest of these states to jump into the investigation is the state of Wisconsin. It's now been announced 
that the election will be investigated by retired officers. The State Assembly Speaker of Wisconsin, Robin Voss, announced Wednesday that he is hiring retired police officers to investigate the November 3rd presidential election, joining efforts in GOP-led states to look into the contest that took place last year. Voss, a Republican, told news outlets, I'm reading from an article in the Times, that he will hire three retired officers who will work with an assembly committee that has investigatory powers to look into the election. Voss said that there were thousands of complaints made after the November 3rd contest in Wisconsin, which narrowly went for President Joe Biden, which need to be investigated. Quote, we need to have a fact basis to continue to show the public in Wisconsin that, number one, we continue to take these irregularities seriously, and that at the end of the day, the laws that we proposed are based on facts in addition to anecdotes, adding that he believes Biden won the election, but pointed to irregularities in how it was carried out. I have something more to say about that, to say that Biden did not win the election. In the interview, Voss singled out how the Center for Tech and Civic Life, which is mostly funded by Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, got involved in several cities. Wisconsin's five largest cities received $6.3 million from the group, which also provided funding to about 200 municipalities across the state. These officers are going to spend about three months reviewing all of the tips that were received and will focus more time on the most credible ones. This is going to be very, very interesting. Now, this move comes amid uh, audits from Arizona, the GOP-led Senate there, Maricopa County. Last week, a judge in Georgia ruled to unseal absentee ballots that will cast in Fulton County during the 2020 for review. There's going to be a lot of stuff looked at. Now, you have Ann Jacobs, who was a Democrat, and she heads the Wisconsin Elections Commission. And she's saying... Quote, I think it's unfortunate that the legislature is using its resources to investigate what has already been thoroughly investigated. No, it hasn't, Ms. Jacobs. And it is my hope that instead they could work toward expanding opportunities and ease of voting for Wisconsin voters. You want to expand opportunities and ease voting? Well, according to this article in the Gateway Pundit, they dug pretty deep. And they found out that there are 3,684,726 active registered voters in the state of Wisconsin. Over 3,300,000, actually 3,129,000, my mistake, voted in this election. That translates into a voter turnout of 88%. That's the highest voter turnout in a presidential election in history. It's pretty difficult to increase voter opportunities more than that. And the only way that probably could have happened is with a substantial number of fraud. Seven Democratic wards in Milwaukee turned in more votes than there are registered voters. 90% of Milwaukee wards reported 90% voter turnout. Meanwhile, Trump increased his share of votes in the state of Wisconsin in his re-election bid. How does that happen? He got more votes, 200,000 more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016. When incumbents lose, 
They never lose by getting more votes in their re-election bid than they did in their election bid. Barack Obama, who everybody thought was very popular, won re-election in 2012, and he did it with three million fewer votes than he won election with. Usually, when presidents do a good job, they get more votes in their re-election bid than they do in their primary election bid. George W. Bush got more votes in his re-election bid than he did when he first was elected. Ronald Reagan had a landslide in two elections. He had over 400 electoral votes his first time. Last time, well over 500, the highest electoral vote landslide in the history of presidential elections in this country. And Donald Trump increased his votes, I think over 12 million votes. There is no way that Donald Trump lost that election. There is absolutely no way. Now, people want to dismiss it. They want to tell you it didn't happen. These are the people that spit in your face and want you to believe that it's raining. It's not raining. It is what it is. And people are starting to realize it. Down in Florida, they're seeing a mass influx of people coming from very, very blue states looking for a better life. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has said that people moving to Florida from other states are overwhelmingly registering as Republicans, and that includes Democrats who fled their states to COVID-19 restrictions. Now, there are some people who have expressed some skepticism about this, not disbelief that they're registering as Republicans, but wondering if there are people who are deliberately moving to Florida, registering as Republicans just so they could undermine Republican primaries and make sure that less than qualified candidates are put up so that they cannot win against the Democrats are going to be nominated. Uh, That's pretty deep. I don't know if it's true, but I think eventually when people get screwed enough, uh, people will change their tune. Uh, According to the governor, the media at the beginning of this said Florida is bad. I think it's because they wanted to damage President Trump or they wanted to damage me. So they just kept saying things were bad in Florida. Even though the facts didn't say it, Last April, they were saying Florida was doing worse than New York, and New York was 10 times worse than us. But DeSantis has resisted lockdowns. He's been criticized by Democrats and some corporate people. He's been preventing vaccine passports. Um, He said, but what he's hearing from the people that he speaks to, and he's a very active governor, he's out and about speaking in various other states. He said, I think what what it did is that people that buy these phony narratives for the, for the media, they probably aren't coming to Florida. But most people see through these phony narratives. The people that see through it think like us. And I think a lot of these people are coming. I think they are registering as Republicans overwhelmingly. And I have also come across a lot of people who, quite frankly, were Democrats. And the lockdowns have turned them into Republicans. He said this while he was on uh, Sean Hannity on Fox News, a station I no longer watch, by the way. I've pretty much boycotted Fox News ever since they stabbed Trump in the back. Uh, I have no interest in watching it. About the only show left that I tune into at all on Fox News, because I've always loved her, is Sunday Morning Futures with Maria Bartiromo. Other than that, Fox News is no longer on my radar. I get my information from radio. I get my information from Newsmax, um, OAN News occasionally, uh, and the Epic Times. And podcasts like this 
that try and sift through much of what comes through the, uh, the portal of the internet and bring it to you after subjecting it to some analysis. But while speaking with Hannity, he said this. Um, he says that a lot of people are leaving from New York, New Jersey, and California, and they left their states due to the lockdowns and the left-wing politics for states like Florida and Texas. He said he has come across a lot of people who said they were Democrats but are now Republicans because of school lockdowns caused by teachers' unions. Quote, people say, I was a Democrat because of education, and I'm in California, and they're locking my kids out of school. I come to Florida, they're in school. People are free. People are happy. He said, if you have a political party that puts the interest of teachers' unions over the interest of kids being able to just access an education, that tells you all you need to know about the modern Democrat Party. Now, I can tell you right here in my home state of New York, I'm a father, I have a son. Uh, my son is in, in school right now, and I have uh, clients in my other businesses who are teachers in New York City, and they're all talking about, uh, the politicians are, about how school is going to be back in the full swing come the fall. And now I find out that Mike Mulgrew, that piece of crap who's the head of the local teachers union in New York City, is sending messages out to all these teachers not to worry. They're going to lock everything out just like they did this year because the man in City Hall doesn't have the balls to stand up to the teachers union. Do you realize, and maybe you do if you've listened to this podcast, that there are high schools in the city of New York where the kids are back in school, but when they go into their classroom, there's no teacher there? The teacher's sitting at home on his or her ass, teaching them from a computer screen. So what the hell good is it? What value is it to have kids back in school when there's no one in the school to teach them? Yeah, there's a teacher in the room because there has to be a staff member in the room to make sure there's order. But that staff member isn't doing anything because maybe he's a social studies teacher or she's a social studies teacher and the subject is math. So the math teacher is phoning it in from home via the computer while sipping cappuccino, sitting on their fat and getting increasingly fatter butt. Telling you right now, if I were the mayor of the city of New York, I would end your misery tomorrow, parents of New York City school children. The Taylor Law would be invoked. There is a contract. Teachers are required to be in school as a consequence of that contract. Vaccines are readily available if you want to avail yourself of it. You either show up and teach in person or well, you're going to get a reduced rate of pay, or you're going to be docked two days' pay for every day you're out under the aegis of the Taylor Law. And my reading of the Taylor Law tells me that when to invoke it is something that is at the complete discretion of the chief executive of the city of New York, which would be the mayor of the city of New York. And if any one of these idiots who are running for the mayor of the city of New York would adopt that hardline stance against the teachers union, they would be swept into office overwhelmingly. I have a feeling many of them who are saying things that people like hearing are only saying them because they know they're things that people want to hear, not because they really believe in them. But we definitely need a change if we're going to get out of this funk. We've got to get rid of de Blasio soon, and we have to get common sense brought back into our local governance and back into our schools. Because what we have now is completely unacceptable. It is leadership by anarchy. It is leadership by intimidation. 
For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.